Welcome, everyone, to the Writer's Block Podcast, Season 2, Episode 22. I am your host, Brandon Laurie, and alongside me, I do have David Hallman, Brandon Clements, and Chris Halling. Uh, you may recognize that my voice is a little bit more computerized than ever before. Uh, that's because I'm going completely remote. We record the podcast remote as is, but I am on location in Texas for the East-West Shrine game that's taking place this week on Thursday. Uh, covering it for blogging the boys. I know also too, fellow BTB or Tony Catalina is down here as well too. So we want to make sure you guys have everything covered, especially with the game being in the Cowboys backyard at the star, like I said, on Thursday. So, uh, you know, it's my first time in Texas. It's exciting. I had some barbecue food earlier. Uh, shout out to my Uber driver, Lorenzo, who got me here safe and sound. I uh, always want to shout, shout out to Uber drivers, but Really, a lot of this came together because we had Eric Galco, the director of player personnel for the East-West Shrine game, on the podcast over the summer last year to talk about when it was announced the game would be played at the Star and how much that was a big help to not only the Cowboys in their draft process, but for a lot of teams, it's a great facility, um, top-of-the-line accommodations for the players. So it's just a win-win all the way around. And not only that, it's also to benefit the Shriners Children's Hospital for a great cause. And that's the main reason why it's done in the first place. So just a great week, a great environment. Um, and B1, you know, I want to ask you this first. The Cowboys have a rich history of taking players from this Shrine game. And I think it's particularly important because when you look at last year's draft class, they had Luke Schoonmaker, Junior Pahoko, Eric Scott Jr., all players who played in this game. Of course, even going back to the year before, Wanye Thomas was in that. Um, how important is this game for you specifically to make sure you really follow the players because the tea leaves are there connected to the Cowboys? Oh, 100%. I mean, let's let's be honest. The, the, you know, the guys that you get in the later rounds are usually playing in these type of games. And, and last time I checked, the Cowboys do a really good job of getting some day three talent and some undrafted free agent talent. So that's, I mean, you're going to get some really, got, you're going to get some really good, ta- uh, really good players that are going to play here that are just, you know, maybe they're just missing something or they're not, you know, they're not a, a number one, you know, first round type player. They, they have the skills. They just need they just need the platform to maybe uh, move their stock up. And I, it's also it's great, great platform for smaller school guys there. I mean, we're going to highlight a few guys, I'm sure, on here tonight. Uh, so I, now I got a few small school guys that I, I've been looking keeping my eye on that before this. I didn't really know much about and I, You know, the, they've been showing up at the at the game and, and, and the, or the practices and. It's been it's been fun to watch them dominate against FBS guys when they're FCS players. So that small school stigma can get uh, put away. And then there's even a CFL guy that's uh, in the Shrine uh, Shrine uh, Bowl practice and the Shrine Bowl game coming up here this week. So it's uh, overall and it, you know for the Cowboys, there's a lot of talent. I mean, I've been following so much coverage from all you got all you guys on X. You mentioned Tony. You know, there's so many great uh, great uh, content creators out there that have been keeping us all, you know, in, in, in tune with what's going on. So there's there's a lot of talent to be had and it's the Cowboys are usually pretty good at picking some of their players out of this out of this uh, this bowl game uh, and just uh, having a lot of fun. Chris, stars like Tom Brady, Walter Payton, Lawrence Taylor, John Elway and Brock Purdy uh, have come from this game. You know, the Cowboys have had success, like I said, for a few of their players, but how confident are you maybe not the Tom Brady's of the world or the Walter Payton's, but that they can actually find a player maybe that could impact their team right away. We know, of course, the draft class last year didn't really live up to expectations, especially for the Cowboys' standards. But with Will McClay coming back, how important is that for when you have a game like this that's in your own backyard to have that sort of continuity to find these key players? 
Oh, I think you said it best. I think it's a huge advantage that um, it's in their backyard, essentially, and that, you know, it's right at the Ford Center. And I think, you know, Will McClay has had such a great, you know, I, I would say like a great resume when it comes to his recent classes in drafting for the Dallas Cowboys. I think it's it's pretty unlikely that he misses back-to-back years as, you know, like as badly as he did, as he and company did this past year. I mean, yes, there's still time to see, and there's still, you know, there's so opportunities for them um, for them to improve and progress, but I mean, it hasn't looked the best. I think that there's plenty of um, players out there who, who um, we're going to talk about in this um, podcast about, you know, like how they have the potential to be big if, you know, drafted to the right situation and um, but given the right opportunities. And so, and so I'm not saying that the Cowboys are going to find their next Tom Brady in this class, but you know, I mean, I think that they can definitely find, you know, a player who can be a good depth or, or, um, or, or even, you know, um, make his way on the field and um, make a few plays as well. Listen, uh, in the words of Hannah Montana, nobody's perfect. Uh, Will McClay's going to work it. Uh, Hallman, I mean, most importantly, this is an exciting time for a lot of fans to try and turn the page on what was a disappointing season for the Cowboys, not meeting expectations, uh, making it to an NFC championship game, and then hopefully a Super Bowl. You can kind of turn the corner now because with all these all-star games happening, like draft season is officially here. You have a lot of players that are going to be highlighted over the next few weeks, next few months that are going to be draft picks for the Dallas Cowboys. And like I said, officially turn the page uh, to next season. So are you just excited just to kind of, like I said, get the stink of 2023 out of your head? Yeah, it's a great feeling. Um, You know, obviously the way the season ended for the Cowboys wasn't great, but all the football's done now. I don't. I'm pretty sure there's no other games left um, for for any of the teams. Uh, and and now we just get to dive right into draft season. Which, um, I mean, I, I love watching the football games and everything, but draft season is pretty close in terms of the excitement levels for me. Um, love getting to know all these players, um, not just the first round guys, but finding those those gems that you that fall to the fourth, fifth, sixth round. Um, you know that that you just love in, in the draft process and whether they end up with the Cowboys or not, you know, you get to kind of, you get attached to these players and you get to see them go out, go around the league and, and see how their career turns out. And that's a really fun process. The Cowboys themselves has a really rich history of hitting on those late picks with, uh, you know, all throughout their, their time as a franchise, but really lately we've seen it with, you know, Deron Bland being the best example, um, you know, Earlier, like you know, that I mean, how many different undrafted free agents have they hit on? Whether it's Tony Romo, Miles Austin, the list goes on. Um, you know, you know, like you were saying too, you know, Luke Schoonmaker, Tom Brady, two Michigan alums that played in this game and are both, you know, surefire first ballot Hall of Famers. So, um, th- this is a good week to really kick things off. So, I- I'm excited. Yeah, I think you said it best. We're trying to find the Hall of Fame Michigan players, and there's a few of them on the on the roster for the East-West Shrine game, of course. Uh, but we want to get you guys ready for the game, like I said, on Thursday night. It's going to be live on NFL Network, so if you guys want to tune into the coverage, it'll be live on there. Um, we're going to be previewing just a few players, as we kind of alluded to in the intro, um, just players that get us excited to watch this week. Of course, the practices are going to be wrapping up as soon as you guys are listening to this on Tuesday. Um, but it, this, you've seen all the tweets, you've seen everything. We're going to get you guys pumped for a few guys to kind of keep an eye on when you're watching the game live. Could be a low school or a low level school. Could be somebody who's going to be a top flight draft pick. We're just looking for ultimately the guys uh, that give us real big nostalgia feelings like a Frank Gore Jr. 
uh, that make us feel all old, uh, which is just crazy to me. Uh, maybe we'll talk about it, but I don't because it just makes me feel uh, ancient. So with that said, Chris, I'm going to turn to you first. Uh, we're going to go offense and then defense. Who's the one offensive player that you've sort of circled uh, before the Shrine game on Thursday? Yeah, so the guy who I circled is um, Virginia wide receiver Malik Washington. Um, he had a really impactful season for the Cavaliers last year. He had 110 receptions for 1,426 receiving yards and nine touchdowns. I mean, if you watch the tape, he's a very aggressive after-the-catch runner. He's um, He has a great route tree. He has very firm and um, reliable hands. And, and you're hearing all this and you're like, you know, like, how is he in this situation? How is he, you know, like supposed to be kind of like a late round pick? And it's because of his size. He's only 5'8". <laughs> he's um, only 5'8", 194. So he's not really going to be that 50-50, you know, you know um, red zone threat. But, I mean, I think when you draft a guy on day three or even late day two, I think you're kind of looking for that upside. And, um and um, I believe he brings a ton of upside. And I also think that, you know, he brings something to the Cowboys that I feel like they haven't had in a while. I feel like they've kind of been missing kind of like that, like almost like Cole Beasley slot threat, you know, you know, I mean, like it's obviously very dangerous whenever CD lamb is in the slot, but I mean, he's also great on the outside. I feel like whenever CD's on the outside, we don't really get a lot of, uh, um, we don't see a lot of production from the Cowboys in their slot. And I think that um, like, you know, um, drafting, a, drafting a guy like Malik Washington would be great for that slot position. But, I mean, I think he provides a lot of depth. And he has all the natural, like, you know, like he has all those natural receiver intangibles and instincts. He's just a little small. But, you know, he is a compact receiver. He's built. So, you know, like maybe he can kind of make up for it with his strength and his uh, toughness. But um, uh, which is something that he did throughout this past season in uh, Virginia. It was either him or the wide receiver from UTEP. Uh, that was really flying through one of these cone drills just to show the fluidity of the hips. And I was blown away. I think it was him because I know, like you said. I think it was him. I posted it in uh, my article that I think is going to come out tomorrow for Blogging the Boys. I actually did a little breakdown of him and how he's been impressing so far. Yeah, and so, I mean, I'm right there with you. And, I mean, Dak Prescott has had success with smaller players like a Cole Beasley in the past. And um, we'll see what the future holds for somebody like a Michael Gallup. But for Hellman, for you, if, if the Cowboys take a chance, on somebody like this, maybe in the, the fifth round, sixth round, depending on where their draft picks and the comp picks end up, because uh, we know it's limited this time around. Is there enough room for somebody like a Malik Washington to make it on the team? I know that they do have Jalen Tolbert. They want to elevate to that maybe number three spot if they move on from Michael Gallup. But do you just take a chance on a guy like this just because the talent is just too strong? Well, I mean, you left out Jalen Brooks, who's the obvious candidate mm -hmm. here to, to move up to that next spot. Um, <laughs> but I mean, you know, I think it makes sense at that point to to bring in someone like that. And, you know, with, with how, how the league is trending to, to being more pass happy, and especially with Mike McCarthy calling plays, they definitely got more pass happy. You can never have enough wide receivers and especially, um, you know, guys that have that talent that is, you know, really hard to find. Um, so you're, you're, you'll, it's always a good situation to have, too many receivers that you want to keep on your roster. We kind of saw that this last year where there was, you know, that, that little bit of a battle between, you know, Jalen Brooks, Jalen Tolbert, and my guy, Simi Fihoko. And obviously there had to be one odd man out there. Um, but th that's a good situation to be in where, you know, you just, you just have uh, a wealth of riches at the receiver position. And, you know, it wasn't so long ago for, for Cowboys fans where it was the exact opposite. And we've seen how, how much uh, the offense can struggle when you don't have, 
uh, a, a whole lot of options at receiver. So I think it's always, you know, it, it's usually a smart bet to target the receiver position in the draft. And, um, you know, it, it, it's something that I think makes sense. It's a good way of kind of a, approaching it. But I also am very excited about Tolbert. I know I made the joke. I'm, I'm excited about what I saw from from Jalen Brooks too in his rookie year, minimal amount of action, but he showed some potential. So uh, it'll be really interesting to see how they kind of weigh those two guys, the young futures with, with their approach in this draft too. I want to see the, the Jalen three wide out set where you got Jalen Cropper, you got Jalen Brooks and Jalen Tolbert. I think that would be cool. I mean, no, nobody on offense, nobody will know where the ball is going. Uh, B1, who's your player on offense that you got circled for this week? So I mentioned it in the beginning, I'm going small school all the way around today and tonight. And uh, the guy that I have, I feel like he could fit uh, fit the bill for the Cowboys on the interior of the offensive line. And I'm actually going to start really quick. There's actually, there's this team, no wonder they won the FCS championship this year and went undefeated. South Dakota State's got some players. I mean, I'm looking at that roster and I, I counted five. My math serves me right. They got five and they're all on offense. So that's five offensive players on the, you know, on the Shrine Bowl roster. Uh, so uh, just kudos to how good of a team that they had. No wonder they were undefeated in the FCS. But the, I, it was it was it was actually down to two guys from that same offensive line. I was I was leaning towards Garrett Greenfield. That was one of my choices. Uh, but I had to go with Mason McCormick. Mason McCormick for me, he's got great size. Depending depending on who you ask, he's six five, six four, three ten, three fifteen. He's you know he's got good size. They've been playing him in the practices, and you know he's been taking reps at both center and guard. He, you know, he's he's mostly been a you know guard, you know, throughout his career. Fifty-seven starts at the FCS level uh, with one of the juggernauts uh, of the FCS, which is South Dakota State. They they're they're a, a powerhouse in that in that division, so they they have some quality talent there. Uh, he's looked consistent in practice. I mean, I've been watching some of the highlights of him. And I feel like he he just. He, some of the drills, they, they it seems like they set you up to foul, especially when you're when you're playing the center position in the drills where they're they're those drills are meant to you know for you to get beat, and he just consistently was not getting beat out of you know out of the snap. Like he just he just was he, he has great base. He's a tough guy. He's got some edge to his game. I believe he was facing I think it was Miles Murphy from North Carolina in one of those big reps. It was like top dog versus top dog for the day uh, this past weekend. And he looked great. Like his he, he like his his feet were just planted on the ground. You could not, you know, he was not giving up. He wasn't giving up any room. He was he just did a heck of a job. And then at the end of it, he just had this edge to him, and he was just like, you know, he was you know you know playing the tough guy a little bit. I like that nastiness for an offensive lineman. I like guys like that where you know you know he's going to finish the play. He's going to finish it well. I mean, he's he's been showing good hands, good balance. His uh, his anchor's really good. And you know, for me. You know, and I, I was, you know, I was watching some of the tape, you know, when he was at uh, South Dakota State uh, the past few years. He, he, he looks he, he looks the part of the NFLer in my book. And, uh, you know, one of our favorites, uh, uh, Dane Brugler on, uh, on X, formerly Twitter, uh, mentioned that he currently has a six round grade on him. And if you look at, you know, if you look at anybody, you know, any of the main the, the main NFL media personnel that are that are down there covering covering the, the practices, he's he's one of those guys that. He came in as pretty much almost an unknown and then as an undrafted free agent, you know, maybe a priority free agent. So now he's going to be a day three player as long as he can maintain what he's doing. And I, I like this guy because I feel like the Cowboys could, could get him day three 
and put him on that on that offensive line that could you know could definitely use some depth because let's see what's going to happen with uh, with Zach Martin. Let's see what's going to happen with with uh, Tyron Smith. You know, if Tyron Smith's gone, Tyler Smith's going to kick out to to tackle. So I would love to see Mason McCormick and T.J. Bass, one of my guys from last year. I'd like to see them battle out for that guard position. That'd be a lot of fun. So he's one of my he's 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 my offensive guy. Maybe you know it's not flashy like a receiver or quarterback, but these big uglies they uh they, this this guy this guy can play. I do feel like he's a guy that he's not. I don't know if he's gonna play right away, but he's one of those guys that I feel like would be a quality depth piece that could develop into a starter for the Cowboys down the line. Yeah, he fits the same sort of personality that someone like a Brock Hoffman already has, like yeah. a TJ Bass, like you already mentioned. Um, I I'm looking at the video that that you just mentioned with him going against the North Carolina player. Uh, because I tweeted about it, I saw that McCormick competed in track and field. Uh, I think this was back in high school, placing second in discus and fifth in shot put as a senior. So that's usually a good trade, a good sign for yeah. offensive linemen. You know, that punch, that force with the, the shot put. Uh, at South Dakota State, he was a three-time captain in 2021, 22, and 23. And to kind of wrap it all up, he was a construction management major. So, I mean, Love nothing it. says offensive line like big construction men. And he's the pride of Sioux Falls, South Dakota. So. South Dakota guy through and through. Uh, Chris, for the Cowboys' offensive line, some were saying that they needed a little bit more attitude up front, that when you're looking at a team also, too, like the Detroit Lions that were in the championship game on Sunday, for the first half of that game, I mean, that offensive line was taking it to the 49ers' defensive line, which is their strength. So when you're trying to win games in the trenches, it's sort of you need a little bit more of an attitude, and McCormick can kind of fit that bill given his track record and everything that he's done, if you're going to take a late round flyer on a guy like that, you want to see that those types of traits you can kind of develop too. I agree 100%. And, and um, you hit the nail on the head talking about that, uh, that uh, Lions and 49ers game last night. I mean, the Lions looked like they were just doing what they wanted with that front seven in San Francisco. And I can't remember the last time I've seen that, you know, they have a really talented and, and a dominant defense in, in a, san francisco so yeah so i think that the cowboys really do need to get some more of that like tenacity and toughness on the offensive line i felt like i felt like over the last couple of seasons we haven't really seen them be that elite you know top three top five offensive line that you know they had the reputation of being for a long period of time there in dallas i mean if you compare those those seasons from 2014 through 2016 i mean that cowboys offensive line was stout and um they were they were pushing linemen really however they wanted to. And it really showed in the run game with DeMarco Murray, you know, you know, having such a great season he had in 2014 with Ezekiel Elliott in 2016. And I just feel like, I mean, I'm not hundred percent sure what it is. I mean, I know we don't have um, a Travis Kelsey. I mean, not Travis Kelsey, Travis Frederick on that offensive line anymore, but, um, but, but I mean, it's just looked like it's taken a step back ever since, since um he retired and and I, I think that drafting Tyler Smith you know kind of put them in the right direction but I think that there's still more work that needs to be done on that offensive line. Yeah, no, I'm right there with you. And Howman, you want your offensive linemen to be construction workers, right? That sort of usually fits the bill. Yeah, it's it's definitely like that's when when you're in that line of work and then you go play football and like you're either offensive line or fullback, you know, that that's kind of you know you're you're pigeonholed in one of those two roles. Chris, though, like, I mean, you're not wrong. There is no Travis Kelsey on this offensive line either. Like, you, you were totally on the spot on that. Yeah, too. yeah. Um, so, yeah, uh, you know, I've seen so much with Taylor Swift and Travis uh, Kelsey recently. You know, it's still on my mind. So. Yeah, you know, I mean, Taylor did put him on the map, as I've been told. No. 
Yeah, no, that's that's totally true. We always love a, a, a faithful woman that elevates the man to stardom. That, that just happens exactly. with all of us here, too. Um, Hamid, before you go, I want to say my guy really quick, too, and it's sort of the same vein with a small school guy. I really love running back Jaden Sheridan out of Monmouth University. Uh, we'll get to the connections a little bit later, but he is a smaller back. Um, the school listed him at a 5'9", but when I guess he went for his measurements for the East-West Shrine game, uh, he's listed at 5'7", 189. So it is a little bit of a smaller player, but that's sort of what you're looking for um, when you're when you're looking for an explosive running back, and he has that explosive nature. Um, he's a player that's also always on the field. So when you have a smaller guy, you think, oh, well, maybe they're missing time due to injury. He was available for every single game during his three years at school. As a true freshman, he had 77 carries to start, but in his final two years in 22 and 23, he had 206 carries and 221 carries. So this guy can literally tote the rock any way you want it. Um, with those carries, he had 3,200 rushing yards, over 3,200 rushing yards and 23 touchdowns. So a highly productive player at a small school, sort of what you would expect. Like you want these guys to kind of separate themselves from the lower level talent. He certainly did that. Um, didn't really do much as a wide receiver. You would hope as being a smaller back, he kind of have that sort of Lance Dunbar role. Um, where he'd be a better receiver. I have seen in practice, he is doing a lot more of that in at the Shrine game. So it seems like he's willing to do it and hopefully grow into that player at the next level. And I mentioned connecting the dots to the Cowboys. Well, they have a history of taking an unknown prospect from Monmouth University and turning him into a Pro Bowl or All-Star in Miles Austin. So I don't think that this kid will go day two, day three. It might be a stretch. Maybe somebody wants to take a flyer on him a chance to like make sure that he doesn't get plucked from undrafted free agency. Um, but I do think ultimately somebody will take a chance on this player because there's just too much talent. Even if it's a training training camp invite, you just want to see somebody like that with the ball in their hands going against NFL players. Uh, you know, not the same size as like a Deuce Vaughn, but that similar role as being like a smaller back, I think would be really cool. And, you know, B1, the Cowboys could use a lot more running backs in the room I put it out on X. I mean, they have Snoop Connor, Malik Davis, Deuce Vaughn, and Hunter Lipke. So not a whole lot of carries and yardage to go around the running back room. So if you kind of throw a rookie in there, kind of the expectations are low and you see what you got. Yeah, I think that's uh, like to your point earlier about having, you know, having a lot of receivers that are in the room. I think that's same thing. Same goes for running backs. I mean, you can always find if you add some depth pieces and have some really good competition. I mean, look at what happened last year. I mean, there was, uh, I think it was uh, Aaron Shampton, I think his name was. I believe he was the Harvard guy last year. Yeah. I mean, there, I mean, there were some, there were some guys like that last year where I feel like in other situations where maybe the room wasn't as heavy as you know there was, you know, as it, you know, as it was in Dallas last year. I felt like a guy, a, a guy, you know, a guy like Jaden could, you know, could come in and and uh, you know, you know, have a shot. I, I think to for me personally. I feel like if he's going to take anybody's role away, and you mentioned it, it's the, you hit the nail on the head. I, I would say it would be Deuce Vaughn. So I feel like he could he could take Deuce Vaughn's spot. I'm not saying we're trying to get rid of Deuce Vaughn by any means, but I feel like he he fits the bill in, in, in many different ways. I mean, he's a little bit bigger than Deuce, but Deuce is not known as a big guy, as we know. So uh, you know, Jaden's you know he's on the smaller side, so he could you know he he could come in and you know be kind of like uh, you know one of those uh, you know I call him like a scat back is how I always look at him. But for me, I feel like I feel like that's where you know he could find a role, and if he, if he plays well in the preseason, you just never know. We we've seen some guys, you know, for example, like Enrico Dotto, just kind of come in out of nowhere, and then you know, he's he's had a role on the team. So for me, I feel like this, you know, a player like this, 
he could be a good camp body, somebody you take in the seventh round, maybe to prevent, you know, somebody else taking him uh, undrafted and just, you know, putting him on your roster and see what he can do in, in you know, in the, in the summer. And then if he could stick it, maybe, maybe he's one of those guys where he takes over a Malik Davis spot where he's kind of sitting uh, fringe roster practice squad kind of guy where, you know, he, you know, he could eventually maybe uh, find a spot on the team. So it's, yeah, I think it's, I think it's a good, I think it's a good, uh, a good player to keep an eye on. And I figured you would go in that direction as your, as a Jersey boy. So, you know, uh, Monmouth, uh, Monmouth has known uh, to have a guy like Miles, uh, Miles Austin. So, you know, maybe we could hit that drum again and get ourselves a really good player uh, from, from that great institution in New, in New Jersey. All right, Hellman. I, I can't, uh, I can't say enough about the state of New Jersey. I, I don't want to talk about it anymore. Um, you, you transition now and take us to our final offensive player before we get to defense. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Right on. Well, y'all kind of went with the small school. I'm not going small school, but I am going small conference. And by that, I mean the conference formerly known as the Pac-12. And UCLA, they have a running back by the name of Carson Steele. Um, and anybody who's watched Carson Steele, I feel like falls in love with him immediately. Um, you know, we were talking about like the small running backs and, you know, Deuce Vaughn. And first of all, how dare you take away Deuce Vaughn's (laughs) roster spot so quickly? Have we, have we already forgotten that the Deuce is loose and and what he was able to do in that preseason game? Um, I love Deuce. I love Deuce. Yeah, I mean, we all, we in all seriousness, we all love Deuce. And we're really hoping for, for a big second year from him. But I, I'm looking at, you know, obviously this running back position, they're going to have some decisions to make with Pollard and Dowdle both being free agents. Um, they have Deuce, you know, he'll be back next year in some capacity. Um, but what I'm really looking for is is kind of that that heavy hitter that, that we kind of wanted Dowdle to be in for, you know, he kind of showed a little bit of an ability to be that, that power back. But Carson Steele is you know, by definition, a power back. He weighed in uh, at 6'3", 228, and physically he fits the profile of being that that bruising power back. He plays that style. His nickname is Thor, and if you ever see a picture of him with a, without his helmet, you understand why he looks like Thor. He's got the long, flowy hair. Um, he plays like, you know, he's like a human hammer too, so it's very apt. He also has a pet alligator named Crocky J. I mean... <laughs> You, you can't get any better than this. Like, and no, that is not made up. You, you literally awesome. can't make that up. Um, he's, he, he's, he originally played at Ball State uh, and then transferred to UCLA this last year. 
um, was incredibly productive at both places. Um, just kind of a old school, hard nosed downhill runner. Um, and, you know, I think the Cowboys are probably going to take an approach to this running back position where they're not going to have, you know, the, the workhorse back like they had with Zeke, like they tried to do with Tony Pollard this year. I think they're going to go with a more modern approach of having, you know, one guy who's really good at, you know, those explosive outside the tackle runs, one guy who's a little bit more of a battering ram. Hopefully Deuce Vaughn can be that first guy, getting a guy like Carson Steele um, would very much fit that, that other option. Uh, and definitely someone I'll be watching throughout this whole draft process because, you know, personality aside, he's just a fun player to watch too. Yeah, I mean, he, I was just going to say really quick, he could be the steal of the draft is what you're saying. Oh, I, I like it. I like it. Uh-huh. I wasn't going to go with the pun, but I was looking him up. Tell me he doesn't look a lot like Tim Riggins from Friday Night Lights with the 33, the long hair. You know, Tim Riggins was that power bruiser back. You know, he was the guy who came in whenever Smash Williams, you know, was out and you know, like he was kind of that, you know, dual threat back. So maybe he can be, you know, like the Cowboys, Tim Riggins. I think that they could use some personality like that, you know? Wait, hold on, no, real quick. Yeah. Real, real quick. He he kind of looks like, to me, I mean, uh, the movie Friday Night Lights, he looks like Billingsley, honestly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's, Howman, you mentioned <laughs> it. Going from small school to big school yeah. is you want to see consistent production. You want to see, like, similar what happened with Jameer Gibbs. Not that it's the same thing, but going from Georgia Tech to Alabama, you want to see the consistent production. And he had that. I mean, I know 847 yards isn't the absolute best like a lot of these running backs get, but going from 1,500 uh, in the MAC conference to 847 at Pac-12 is still really good. And he averaged 5.4 at Ball State and then 5.1 at UCLA. So he's still a good running back. And like you said, maybe he wasn't used exactly the same way. Um, but you know, listen, maybe he comes for Hunter Lipke's job. Maybe he doesn't yeah. fumble at the one-yard line. You know, you never know uh, with a player like this when you get him in the building. And again, I think the social media team would go nuts for a player like this, and I'm all for it too. Uh, yeah. And also, it's worth noting at UCLA, he was he wasn't the primary back. He was in a, yeah. a, a he was in a um, what's the word tandem, tandem. running back tandem. Yeah, tandem, tandem. Um, so he wasn't the main guy like he was at Ball State, but they definitely used him in some of those power packages and, and you know short yardage situations. And you know more often than not, he came through. All right, let's go to the defensive side. Chris, we're going to go back around to you. Who's your guy? Sounds good. Um, My guy is Curtis Jacobs from Penn State. You know, the last time the Cowboys drafted a linebacker out of Penn State, it worked out pretty well for them, I'd say, even though – you know, the Cowboys drafted him with anticipation of being a linebacker and he kind of became more of a pass rusher. But this guy, I think, would be more of a linebacker, which is kind of what they need right now, not the pass rush. Um, I really like Curtis Jacobs just, you know, just like watching some of his film and seeing what he did last year at Penn State. Last year, he had 50 total tackles. He had two and a half sacks, 12 fumble recoveries. I mean, I mean, he has some good natural instincts. He's got, you know, a, um, a, a, um, a lot of athleticism. He's um, really good at getting up and down the field, you know, going sideline to sideline. Um, one of his uh, bigger strengths is his uh, tackling in the open field and his run defense. And I think that that's something that the Cowboys really need. The one thing that I think he would have to do is if the Cowboys did draft him, I think he'd have to put on just a tad bit of weight. Um, he's currently listed at uh, 6'1", 238. So he's kind of small-ish for the position. But, I mean, if he adds, you know, um, a couple more pounds on him, then I think he could be a real bruiser in that run game and he could really fix that issue. 
his biggest weaknesses are his over pursuit and kind of his aggression. Sometimes he kind of runs, you know, you know, like he kind of is too aggressive and kind of leaves, you know, some like cutback lanes open sometimes. And in the, in the pass rushing department, you know, he's not the biggest, you know, um, impact, but that's not really what the Cowboys need. The Cowboys need, you know, a um, good run defender who can also drop back in coverage and, you know, like kind of be that like, um, that like plug and play and um and um every down linebacker and I think that that's a guy who could maybe fit that bill and I think he's gonna fall as late as the fifth round so I think that that could be a good piece for the Cowboys. And not only that, I mean, even if he just contributes on special teams as mm-hmm. a linebacker, maybe turns into a Luke Gifford role. You just hope for that, um, mm-hmm. and then maybe whatever you can get on defense, even if it turns into like a Damian Wilson when he was a Cowboy the first time around, not the second time around. Um, but B1, I mean, the Cowboys, we've talked about it at the end of the year. We talked about it a lot throughout the year after the LVE news. You know, they, they just need bodies at linebacker. And for all the credit to Marquise Bell for, for coming in and just on the fly in an emergency situation, stepping in the position and playing really well. Shout out to him also, too. He was named HBCU Player of the Year. So he'll be honored uh, during the Super Bowl week for that. Um, but you just need more typical prototype linebackers and he kind of fits the bill of what Chris is talking about. Yeah. And actually to Chris's point too, when he was talking great Penn state linebackers and I was thinking Sean Lee, you know, uh, all kidding aside, I mean, Sean Lee was a heck of a player at Penn state. I mean, my wife's a Penn state fan. So I, I have to hear about linebacker you a lot in my household. So I, I've gotten to know, I've gotten to actually know Curtis Jacobs game, watching Penn state games every, every Saturday. So yeah, he's a good player. And even the size thing, I don't think the size is that big of a deal. I mean, he's, he's, he's closer to 240 than he is 230, which doesn't sound like a lot. But for me, if he's closer to 240, uh, you know, which he is, he's listed. I'm looking at the site right now for the Shrine Bowl. He's listed at 236. So I think, I think there's enough girth there. I mean, I don't think, I don't think that weight will scare, will scare the, uh, the Cowboys away. I feel like they're, I, I, as, you, as we just mentioned, Marquise Bell was, what, 205 playing linebacker. So I think, you know, adding 30 LBs to the, uh, to the linebacker room, with, with a talented player like you have here from a linebacker university, I feel like I definitely feel like that is uh, that's a good call. I do think, you know, having, having the Cowboys draft another linebacker from Penn state, you really can't go wrong with that. So I feel like day, day three, you know, maybe possibly, you know, a day, day two, if, you know, if this breaks, right, he could, you know, he could fall, he could go up the boards. So you never know with these things it could be a day three guy right now, but if somebody likes him enough, Look at we look at what the Cowboys did last year. Uh, you know, drafting somebody that was on draft. You know, you know, with uh, with Scott Eric Scott, you know, Jr. You know, they drafted him in, in the sixth round, and everyone's like, uh, "Why is he? Why is this guy getting drafted?" So somebody might fall in love with him and, and draft him in the third round. It's possible. So yeah, but I think I think the linebacker position is definitely. I don't think they're going to attack it once. I feel like they're going to attack it twice, maybe three times. I feel like they're going to go linebacker heavy, and instead of maybe going with a first round linebacker, you could you could get somebody in you know, day two, day three, that can come in, maybe, you know, maybe play on special teams like, like B2 mentioned. So yeah, linebacker position is definitely, definitely a good, a good spot to go for. I'm going to go with my Pitt player, uh, but not Penn State, but Pitt University. I actually, I sent Dane Brugler a message. I said, hey, you know, you're going to be at the, the first few days of practice. You know, who are some names I should keep an eye out? I asked him about my guy from Monmouth. Uh, he said he's a very explosive player. I'm sure that was a nice way of saying, we'll see what happens. Um, but he told me, look at the Pitt, the Pitt University corner, um, one of two that's at the game, MJ Devonshire. Uh, he's listed at 5'11", 179. He started yeah. his collegiate career at Kentucky before transferring to Pitt in 2021. 
Good he had player. 66 tackles over his final two years at Pitt. And it really honestly looked like he wasn't afraid of contact. I know if you go to PFF, I was trying to see some sort of numbers where he, where he ranked. Um, they said his missed tackle rate was, was a little bit higher. But again, a lot of these guys at college, you need to refine those skills, especially at the cornerback position. I wasn't yeah. too worried. I saw a lot more physicality from him um, in sort of the clips that I saw. He had eight career interceptions, four in his final year. So each year it got progressively more. I think it was one, three, and four if that adds up to eight. Nobody checked the math on that. Um, on his top – or on top of that, he had 30 career pass breakups and he had 14 this past season. So clearly a guy that gets his hand on the ball whenever it's in the air. Um, he had three career pick sixes, which we all know is important in Dallas with Deron Bland. And he actually was uh, Pitt's primary punt returner. There's a lot of peas in that. Um, and if he needs to make a 53-man roster, not only on the Cowboys, but maybe in the NFL as a whole, proving that you could be a reliable special teams player and do multiple things would be good in his sort of direction. Um, and I just think overall there's a good history of Coach Narduzzi and a lot of these guys coming from Pitt into the NFL level. Uh, you have Jordan Whitehead, Avante Maddox, Jason Pinnock, who we talked about actually, I think, during our potential trade uh, segment of this show back in the season. DeMar Hamlin, of course, Dane Jackson, and then Brandon Hill Houston was a rookie this year who actually got some time with the Texans. I thought that was a pretty cool draft pick for Houston to go to Houston. Um, so you could tell there's just a good lineage. There's a good tree here. A lot of these guys were picked in maybe the third, fourth, fifth round. So maybe he'll fall a little bit to fifth, sixth, maybe. Um, but again, the Cowboys have shown that if they see a guy with traits, coachable traits that they want to take a risk on, trade up for, uh, they've been known to do that too. And he certainly has a lot of traits. So it'll be interesting to see how he performs in the game. If he has a pick six, I'm sure maybe that'll kind of boost up his, his stock a little bit more. And Hellman, to that point, I mean, you do have some corners who are free agents in Stephon Gilmore, Jordan Lewis. Cowboys just, I think at this point, just need bodies. And when you see a guy as productive like him in college, you just want to take a chance on him to see what you got. Yeah, and it's going to be interesting to see how they approach that position too, just, you know, both with the draft and with free agency. Um, you know, obviously they have two young guys that they really like in Trayvon Diggs and Deron Bland, but, you know, Gilmore's going to be a free agent. Um, you know, I, I believe I've got my math right here, and Sean Wright will be going into the last year of his rookie deal as well. Um, so there's going to be some decisions, both short-term and, and kind of long-term of, of how they want to see that play out. Obviously, you know, they just drafted Eric Scott Jr., but didn't see him at all, and we don't really know what they have there. Um, so I think it makes sense that they might target a corner position, uh, you know, in this draft and, and probably also in free agency and just kind of double it up and cover their bases. Um, and I, I like the pull, uh, you know, like you said, all those players from Pitt, like, Generally speaking, you're going to get a good player out of there with the way that, you know, Pat Narduzzi coaches his guys. Um, of course, you know, and I'll, and I'll use this to pivot into my guy as well because it's from the same position. You know, the, the number one rule in, in draft season is you don't want to scout the helmet. You don't want to just say, oh, well, they went to this school. Um, but to your point, you know, Pitt has a really good recent history of, of producing really good players. And this next school, this next player from this next school also comes from, I would say, one of the biggest powerhouses in college football, and that's Arizona State. Um, <laughs> and, uh, in all seriousness though, my next player is a corner from Arizona state. His name's Ro Torrance. Um, he's someone that as an Arizona state alum who unfortunately sat through all their games, these last couple of seasons and watched them play. Uh, he's someone I've seen a lot. And Ro Torrance has been one of the very few standouts of the Sun Devils team the last couple of years while they've really struggled. Um, he's, uh, 
he's kind of fits the pro the profile of what Dan Quinn has been looking for in his defensive backs. He measured in at like just a hair under six three. He's two hundred four pounds. He's big. He's he's long, and he's a really strong player too. Like consistently, he was one of the Sun Devils' best run defenders just because he's. He's got so much force behind him, and he, he's a very good tackler in the open field, which is a very rare thing to find in corners these days. Um, but he's also, you know, at his best when he's playing in this press man coverage kind of style, which is also what Dan Quinn really likes to do. And, you know, this past year with Stefan Gilmore and some of the, you know, the speed issues that he had, they weren't able to do that as much as they might have liked to in previous seasons. Um, so finding a guy like Roe Torrance who has the size, has the length, has that that familiarity in kind of some of the coverage preferences that he wants to do. Um, that to me, I was just like, Roe Torrance would be a great fit in Dallas schematically, get him in the room with Al Harris and, you know, Roe Torrance, he, he played at Auburn and then eventually transferred to Arizona state. And when you watch him play, you see, he has that dog in him. Al Harris would love to work with him and work on his ball skills, which is probably, I would say his biggest weakness. He only had uh, two interceptions over his three years in college. Um, but he was very, very good at forcing incompletions. Over his first two years uh, as a starter, he had uh, under 60% completion rate. This past year, it went up to 62%, but he was also seeing the most targets he had ever seen in his career. So, you know, that you have to factor in the sample size. But, you know, he's someone who's very, very good in coverage. He can, he's reliable uh, in run support. Obviously, we'll see as, you know, the draft process goes on what his actual draft stock is like, but probably going to be a day three pick. Um, but could be someone that kind of similar to when Deron Bland came out, like he may be overlooked because of the, you know, with, with Bland, you know, he played at Fresno state, not really a premier school. Um, Torrance played at uh, Arizona state team that was really underperforming heavily in the last couple of years. Um, so you get overlooked for those reasons, but when you turn on the tape, you see a guy that, you know, has the attitude to come in and work every single play uh, and, and has a lot of the traits that, Dan Quinn has been very successful with not just in Dallas, but throughout his whole career. So, uh, and of course, you know, he went to Arizona state. How can you not love a good old fashioned sun devil? Right. Yeah. Well, you never want to scout the helmet. So we're going to have to take that out of there. Um, <laughs> you know, Chris, the Cowboys have also had success with drafting. I know I mentioned a corner. How am I mentioned a corner? The Cowboys drafted uh, multiple corners. I believe it was in the same draft with the Wouzier and Lewis. So if they do decide to double up at that position, uh, it could bode well for them. You could find instant starters, and it might not be at the back half of the draft, but when, you know, B1 mentioned Deshaun Wright might be going into a contract year. You have a lot of these guys that are unproven, like an Eric Scott. Like, you just might need to kind of wipe the slate, the slate clean. You don't know what will happen with Gilmore and Lewis, and you just get as many people in as possible. Yeah, yeah. I think it's always important to have a lot of cornerbacks. It's kind of similar to the wide receiver room. I think that, you know, there's always players at those positions who provide different skill sets and provide different, you know, um, things on the football field. And, and um, you know, with, with Stephon Gilmore's age and uh, Jordan Lewis also kind of, you know, you know, um, starting to get up there as well. Um, I think it's definitely um, smart for the Cowboys to kind of look at that position in the draft. But I don't think it's one of the bigger needs, obviously, on the team, because I think they have a really you know, set duo there with um, Trayvon Diggs and Deron Bland. So I think it's a position that you kind of take a stab at in those later rounds and see if you can find another diamond in the rough like Deron Bland. Because if you can find another one like him, then um, uh, you're building a really, really good trio in Dallas. And, you know, there's still, you know, I mean, it still remains to be seen if Dan Quinn is coming back or not. 
But I mean, if he comes back, then it's very likely that Al Harris will still be there. And then, and then you're able to get Al Harris as many weapons as he can. And he's shown that he can really get the best out of his secondary. Yeah. And I know Dan Quinn is going to have his meeting, the second interview with the commanders in person on Tuesday. So as you're recording this, maybe we'll find out the news of Dan Quinn. I believe that there was also a picture of him uh, on social media on Monday at the East West Shrine game practice in his Cowboys gear. So he's just being a good company man. And I appreciate that. Uh, all right, P1, close us out. Who's your final final guy of the night on the defensive side? Well, you guys have mentioned, you know, not looking at helmets and and, and, and guys that, you know, and, and Chris was just mentioning, you know, maybe going for a, a day three type of player at the the cornerback position. Before I get there, there is one guy that I just wanted to mention uh, from the from the franchise up in uh, Syracuse, up at Syracuse uh, University. Uh, watch out for Isaiah Johnson. Uh, that's that's a guy. He's not on my list, but I have to get my Syracuse reference in somewhere. I gotta, I gotta stay on brand a little bit. So watch out for Isaiah Johnson. He's a guy, good size, six three, two hundred pounds. He's he's been showing out of practice, so that's that's a guy to look out for. But to my to my point of not work, not worried about the helmet, and then a guy who I think can uh, the Cowboys could take it in a day three situation. He might go farther up. Who knows at this point? Because this guy's a very much an unknown commodity. He never played college football. He played for the Argos, uh, for, for those that are not familiar with the Canadian Football League, uh, that is the Argonauts, uh, you know, up in, uh, up in Canada. Uh, and he was, uh, he was the Toronto Argonauts. So he was the CFL Rookie of the Year and a CFL East All-Star. And that is uh, Quantez Stiggers uh, uh, from the Argonauts. He's listed about – he's 5'11", 6 foot, depending on who you, where you're looking. He's right around 200 pounds. Uh, he was listed at 197 on some places, 203 other places. So I'm just going to go with a net average of 200 pounds. So he's, he's a good, good size player. And again, he's ne- he never played a college down. Unfortunately, some things happened. Uh, he was going to go to uh, D2 Lane College, which is uh, another uh, HBCU uh, program in Tennessee. But um, the season was canceled for the unfortunate uh, COVID situation. And uh, he unfortunately dropped out of school because of, you know, he, you know, his, his father, his father passed away. So that was, so obviously, you know, taking care of, you know, focusing on family and dealing with that. So he, but he, you know, he made his way back. I mean, his, his mom got him, uh, got him into the fan control, kind of pushed him in the fan controlled football league. And then he was seen by the right person who knew the right people with the Toronto Argonauts, got a tryout with the CFL. Nobody thought he was going to make it because the guy never played college ball. Like he just hasn't, you know, he, he was just working odd jobs and he played in the fan control league and uh, he made the team. Not only did he make the team, but he played in 16 games and he was a regular starter. And as I mentioned, he was the rain, he's the reigning CFL rookie of the year. And he was an all-star and uh, by season's end, he had 53 tackles and wait for it. Five interceptions. The guy's a ball hawk. And if you watch the tape, he shows that he had some past breakups that we've seen in the, in the Shrine Bowl practices. He looks, he doesn't look like he's uh, out of water. He looks like he fits right at home with these, with these high level players from uh, the, you know, a lot of the high, high level FBS and in some of the FCS schools. He showed up. I mean, he's, he's got great, great ball skills, which to me, you know, we were talking about interceptions. Those are the kind of guys you want in Dallas. He's got a great story. He just turned 22, literally like, you know, like two weeks ago. So he's, he's a, he's a young guy still. I mean, he, you know, he, he has great, he has great footwork. I mean, I was watching him make some breaks on the balls. That's why he gets a lot of pass breakups and, you know, gets his hands, you know, on the ball or picks it off because he, he's, he's, he knows how to stick his foot in the ground and go. You know, I, I saw people saying that he's a little raw. I would say he's not so raw because he's literally the first, he's the first former professional player to play in this game. 
It's not like he played one game for the Argonauts and he had an interception. He played in 16 games, recorded some decent stats. So I think I don't think I don't think he's as raw as people think he is. I, you know, just because he didn't play college ball, that doesn't mean anything to me because he played well in the in, in a pro league. So I mean, he you know he's not perfect by any means. He's going to probably be I, I would say a day three guy, but he has the right tools. I feel like the Cowboys would be a team that would look at him. I feel like a day three would be a good spot for him if he doesn't fly up draft boards, which is certainly possible because he has been one of the breakout candidates uh, so far at the, uh, at the Shrine Bowl practices. So to me, Quantesh Stiggers, uh, uh, DB from the Toronto Argonauts of the CFL, that's my guy. That's the guy I'll be watching. It's a great story. I hope he makes it, whether, whether he plays for the Cowboys or not. I want to see this kid do well in the NFL. Yeah, you mentioned it's a great story, and I think the, the biggest thing for him is, like you said, he doesn't look like a fish out of water. You know, he's really yeah. picking up things really well. Um, I guess in that CFL style, he plays his back to the sideline a lot more. But, you know, it'll be interesting to see when the lights are on, when the game starts. You know, does he kind of get out of place? Does it look like he's sort of uh, behind a few steps? Or if he goes and plays right away and becomes his gamer, you know, I think that'll say a lot for him and, and his development and where people can kind of see him. Um, and not only that, but again, playing at the Cowboys facility, you get comfortable with the environment and everything. And again, everybody has an equal opportunity to talk to these players. All 32 teams do. But when it's in the Cowboys facility, you get a feel for things a little bit more. And the Cowboys actually have access to all these guys throughout the week. They don't have to send anybody anywhere. It's all their guys in-house. So uh, I know Al Harris was there. Um, on site with these guys the other day talking to a few of the DBs. So he doesn't have to travel and go anywhere and disrupt his schedule. He could be right there in Frisco. So I think that's a big benefit for that too. Yeah, no, I was just going to add too. It just, you know, the more I think about it, you know, this story you just mentioned, obviously that this great story with the CFL and never playing college ball and everything that he's gone through up in, uh, in his, in his 22 years up to this point, I think if, you know, things break well for him, we could see him, uh, him being uh, featured in a movie someday. I think there could be this like uh, biographical, like Kurt Warner type movie uh, for him someday. So I'm rooting for all, all, all things uh, uh, Quantez. I think he's seems like a good kid. Saw some interviews I saw online. He checks a lot of those boxes. I think he's a guy you just, you, you know, on day three, take a swing at him and, and, and go get him. I feel like if you miss, who cares? You spend a day three pick, but if you hit, it's another home run for the Cowboys late in the draft. Yeah, and not only that, he'll be wearing the Argonauts helmet on the field uh, when it comes time to play in the game. It's not going to be some, you know, no brand, uh, no college helmet. It'll be the Argonauts one. So that's pretty awesome, too. So uh, that's going to be it for the podcast tonight, guys. Um, you know, again, the, the Shrine game takes place at the start Thursday night, 7 p.m. Central. So if you're in the area, please go check it out. Not only are the tickets pretty inexpensive, you get actually to see the Cowboys practice facility, be there. Uh, you know, under the lights of all these guys, but you're also giving back to the Shriners Children's Hospital across the country, which again, above all, is the most important thing. And make sure you follow all of us on Twitter. Check out all the work we have on blogintheboys.com. We're going to have up-to-date news on everything around the Cowboys, Dan Quinn and the coaching staff, free agency, and of course, with what we're talking about now, starting to transition into that draft season for you guys too. So for David Hellman, Brandon Clements, and Chris Halling, I am Brandon Laurie. Thanks again for listening to the Writer's Block Podcast. And until next time, go Cowboys.